Man, that's, that's a really good question. In fact, I'd say it's a, it's a great question. It's a heavy question. It's a question that, whether we know each other or not, I, I know something about you because I know something about myself and humanity and how we tend to process things. It's a question that every single one of us have wrestled with at some point. We've wrestled with it because we've wondered for a long time whether or not there was a way to deal with our stuff. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at Bridgewater, and um, we've been talking through whether or not there can be an adult starting point for faith. Maybe you were handed a, a faith of sorts at a young age. Maybe you were handed a faith and you were, you were told, whether, whether you went to Mass or you went to a, a, a church gathering or you went to synagogue or you went, you know, wh whatever you went to, or maybe you didn't go to anything, but you were told some things as a child about God and faith. Somebody kind of handed you a, a faith and they told you, you know, you should, you should pray to God and you should, you should, um, you should ask God to forgive you your, your sin. And you weren't really sure as a child what, what all of that meant, but but you did it, and you prayed, and you said, God, forgive me. I, I went in my sister's room again. Ugh. You know? Or God, forgive me. My brother mouthed off to me again, and I hit him. Please forgive me. And as a kid, that was great because, like, what, what had you done? You, you hadn't really done anything that bad. I mean, you, you got in the cookie jar and you weren't supposed to, or you lied about it, or you did this or that. And then, you know, over, over, over time, we began to grow up, and the, 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 the sins or, or the mistakes or whatever you want to call them, I mean, we talked over the last couple weeks, are we mistakers or sinners, whatever you called them, they got a little bit bigger you know you know and it's not anymore like God forgive me I went in my sister's room it's like God forgive me I went in somebody else's room if you know what I mean and it got bigger and it got harder and it got more painful and there's this there's this thing that came with it there's this this guilt and, and this shame that we start to carry around. And we carry, we've carried it around for, for a while. And we've, we've tried, we've looked at, at 
well, what, what do I do? What do I, how do I get, get rid of this? Because, you know, maybe, maybe yours are a little different than some of the ones I mentioned before, but there's that thing, you know, there's the money thing that you just don't like to talk about. There's that thing at work that you're embarrassed to tell anybody, any of your friends or your, your spouse. There's that, that other guy. There's that other woman. There's that weekend you wish that you could just forget or that place that you will never go and visit again because you're like, nope. I can't and I won't go back there because you're wondering what what can wash it all away and why won't it go away? And some of us try to drink it away or medicate it away. Some of us try to give money to, to make it go away. Some of us try to do good things. We even try religious things, good deeds, to try to make it go away. But the thing is, it just doesn't seem to go away. It's a cloud. And so we live life going, what, what if anything could? What if anything could Wash away my sin. And then we, we do this game. We do this game where we say, well, well, you know, nobody's perfect, right? Nobody's perfect as if we could kind of cover it up in the sea of humanity. And, and, and look, I'm not as bad as them. And they're, you know, nobody's perfect, so... But it doesn't go away. And we try to justify it. And we, we say things like, well, I, I, was, I was young. You know, I was young. It wasn't a big deal. I was drunk. You have to understand, like, this was going on. It was, it was a mistake. I was angry. And if you hadn't made me do, then I wouldn't have. I was lonely. I was broke. I had no other choice. And all of it comes back to the question, what, if anything, can wash away my sin? Really what we're wrestling with is forgiveness. Is there anything, is there, like in my life, is there anything that could just pick up and carry away that weekend, that memory, that relationship, that situation, is there anything that could change it? It's almost as if we, we feel like we have this debt, this heavy thing that we carry around that just needs to be paid. And here's the thing. Religious people are no different. If you're, if you're not a religious person, you're, you're, you're in good company here today. Church people are no different. And the reality is that every religion has something to say about this. In fact, I would say every religious system offers a solution. Every single one. 
Every religious system offers some sort of solution. Do this or say this or pray that or give that or go here or whatever it is. Every religious system offers some sort of solution. But only one person ever showed up and said, I don't just have a solution. I am the solution. Now here's the thing. If somebody shows up and says, hey, yeah, you got a bunch of mess, you know, got all this stuff, and hey, um, I, I am the solution, one of two things is going on. Number one, either they're crazy and run, okay? Like, if, if I show up in your life and I tell you I am the solution to your problems, can I just say run, Okay? Or, there's someone that we better pay attention to if they can deliver. And you see, some of us have tried to wash or cleanse away or deal with our issues. And some of us have tried solutions. You've tried giving things away. You've tried this idea of forgiving yourself or this therapeutic approach. You have tried religious solutions and every single one seems to keep falling, falling short and, and you just don't seem to be able to come to the place where you feel like you have forgiven yourself. And yet, years and years and years ago, someone showed up on the scene and said, I am the solution. Now, before he showed up on the scene, there was somebody who pointed us to how we can actually experience that, that word that we talked about earlier, forgiveness or paying of a debt. The man who showed up, his name was John. John, John was a, a, a weird character. John, you may have heard of him before. Um, he, he's known as John the Baptist. And it's not because he wasn't John the Presbyterian or John the Lutheran. It's because he was John the Baptizer. He was known for doing something different than what was ever happening in his day. You see... In John's day, 2,000 years ago, if you were going to make some sort of religious commitment or some sort of religious change, you would go to the religious leaders and they would tell you what you were to do, and then they would tell you to go and have a ritual bath or a ritual cleansing to publicly announce that you were then attaching your, yourself to these religious leaders or this religious sect or this you know, particular idea. No one would go and, and, and cleanse you or, or go into the water with you. It wasn't anything like that. You would just go in those days to a body of water or a bath or a mikvah or whatever, and you would go down and you would be cleansed, and then you would come out attached to that religious teaching. Well, John did something very different. John actually started going out into the wilderness and went to the Jordan River and started baptizing people himself. Very different in that day. 
And John was a bit of an odd dude. He lived out in the wilderness. He ate locusts and honey. Anybody hungry? He, he, he had clothing made of, of animal skins. He probably would have looked a little bit crazy. And yet, all sorts of people started flocking to him. I mean, everybody. In fact, in, in, in one of the first books in the New Testament, in the, in the Gospel of Mark, we read about John. In, in Mark chapter 1 and verse 5, look at what we read about John. It says this, all of Judea. This is kind of the, the southern part of the nation of Israel. Every single person, including all the people of Jerusalem, went to see and hear John. Now, I don't know if Mark is exaggerating a little bit for effect, but he seems to be saying, like, everybody, I mean everybody who was anybody or who heard anything about John flocked to go and see and hear John. And John would do his deal. He would preach a sermon or talk and teach and, and call people to repent. And if you would confess your sins and repent, then you would go down into the Jordan River and John would baptize them there. Again, something very, very different than anything that would have ever happened in that day. Why was he doing this? Well, if we back up just a one verse, Mark tells us a little bit about John's purpose. Here's, here's what it says. It says, this messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and he preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be what? Forgiven. Hmm. So John seemed to think that in some way, shape, or form, there was a way that people, himself included, myself included, yourself included, could be forgiven. In the Gospel of John, we read that just a few days later, John starts pointing the way to how we can be forgiven. In John chapter 1, John the Baptist a different, you know, John is a different John recording about John the Baptist. He tells us this in verse 26. He says, John told them, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Here amongst you, with all the people that are here, remember all of Judea and everybody is there, and even the people of Jerusalem, the largest city in the area, the largest city in the country, everybody's here, and there's somebody here you don't even understand who they are. And then he said this. He said, though my ministry follows, uh, though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal. Now again, everybody was going to see John and John is saying, my ministry is nothing compared to his. I'm not even worthy to untie the straps of his sandal. So the next day, John back at the same place, back at the Jordan, standing there with a crowd gathered, and people had been waiting for a long time. I mean, people were traveling from Jerusalem, which, by the way, just to give you context, if you're traveling from Jerusalem today to, to the Jordan River, okay, if you could fly like a bird from Jerusalem to the Jordan, it's not very far. It's about 20 miles, but you cannot travel that way. 
Today, it's about a 40-mile hike through treacherous land that is dry and desert-like, and it's very dangerous. The road is windy and steep, and it's dangerous. You have to go by Jericho, a place where Jesus even tells the story of the Good Samaritan, where where a man falls into uh, uh, being beat up by thieves, because that would happen often, and yet people were willing to get up and travel. It would take you, you'd get up before the sun got up, and you wouldn't get there until the sun went down. That's how long it would take you to get there, and people were doing it. The next morning, sun's not even up. People are there, they're kind of lining up. I was here, John, I was here early. I was in line. Everybody's waiting, you know, they're waiting to hear John and they're waiting because they, they want to be baptized and they want to identify. And all of a sudden, John says, hey, hey, good morning, everybody. I, I realize you've been waiting a long time, but I've got something to say. Look at what verse 29 tells us. The next day, John saw Jesus come towards him and he said, look. Pay attention. Set your eyes on something. Look. Would you just look and see? I want you to behold. Well, what, what's he telling us to behold? He says this. He says, look. Pay attention. The Lamb of God who takes away what? Well, we'll get there. But look, here's Jesus. He is the Lamb of God. Now, in our culture, Lamb of God may not mean a whole lot to us. But in a Jewish culture, in a culture that was that built its entire history in the land of Israel based upon the fact that we talked about just a couple of weeks ago that there was a time where Jesus stood or where, excuse me where God stood before the nation of Israel and said, "Hey, I want you to take a lamb. And I want you to slaughter that lamb. And I want you to take the blood and I want you to put the blood above the door and on the sides of the door. And and I want you to do that and I'm going to pass over your sins and I'm going to pass over you. And they, they, they said, but why? That doesn't even make sense. What good is this blood going to do? And what's the deal with the lamb? And God just said, just, just trust me. And the, those who trusted him and did that, they were led out of the nation of Egypt and they were set free. And ever since then, they had been remembering God passing over their sins through the sacrificing of lambs. And now all of a sudden, John is saying, look, God's lamb. Yeah, I know you have your lambs. Usually you bring your lamb to the temple. Usually you show up with your lamb. There's something new. Pay attention. God is bringing a lamb And this lamb is going to do something. What's he going to do? He is going to take away what? The sin of the world. Their sin? Yep. My sin? Yep. Your sin? Yep. Every piece of it 
John says is paid for by Jesus. Now, from then on, John would spend the rest of his life and the rest of his ministry telling people, hey, look at him. Hey, look at him. And that wasn't easy for John. I mean, it, it, you know, John continuing to call people to repentance and telling people to, to look to Jesus, it ended up with John being placed in a jail cell in a place called Machaerus on the other side of the Jordan. And John was eventually beheaded because he refused to change his story and to stop calling people to repentance. But all the way through, he kept saying, look, pay attention. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus would continue on for the next several years and travel all throughout the nation of Israel and all throughout Samaria. And he would continue to teach and prepare and tell people that he was the Messiah come to pick up and carry away all of our sins. And then eventually, eventually came the day that must come for every lamb. If a lamb is a sacrificial lamb, there comes a day where something must happen. The day comes when the lamb is chosen and taken and set aside. And the lamb is then sacrificed as a payment, as a ransom, as an atonement. That's what that word atonement means. It means a payment, a ransom, a paying of a debt. The lamb is sacrificed as an atonement for sin. And Matthew, a man named Levi, who we've talked about as well in this series, a man who, who was a, a tax collector and a sinner and he was hated in the nation of Israel and yet Jesus had, had called Matthew and said, hey, I want you to come and follow me and it changed his life, you know. Matthew records for us some incredible things uh, about Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus was taken and, and nailed to a cross, and yet Matthew rec records for us some incredible details. Let me, let me show a couple of them to you. Matthew says in, in verse 46 of chapter 27, he says, and At about 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lamana sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Now, it's really easy for us to miss, but again, within a Jewish context, in a Jewish culture, on the Passover nonetheless, which is when this took place, every Jew Every person in Jerusalem would have known and understood what was happening at 3 o'clock on that day at the temple. Because you see, the time for the sacrificing of the Passover lamb was in the ninth hour on that Friday. The ninth hour is 3 p.m. And at the ninth hour, something crazy would have happened. 
a, a, a priest would have gone to the southwest corner of the temple and he would have stood there and pulled out a, a shofar or what we would think of today as a trumpet and he would blow that trumpet right at the ninth hour and every Jewish person in all of Jerusalem and, and, and all around for as far as they could hear would know that, that a sacrifice had been made for the covering, for the washing away, for the picking up and carrying away of their sins. And the scripture tells us that at three o'clock, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you turned your back on me? And then he goes on just a couple of, you know, couple of minutes later, and the text tells us this, and Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. And history tells us something, an incredible detail too. And, and, and the, the gospel writers tell us this incredible detail. You know, oftentimes when, when, when people uh, were crucified, they died of suffocation. And yet the scripture tells us and medical evidence shows us due to the, 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 the accounts that are given to us through a, through a man named Josephus, a, a, a Jewish historian who was not a Christian, by the way. Okay? It details for us that Jesus, when he died in this hour, he died due to the loss of blood, the shedding of Often the Romans, if they wanted to speed up someone's death, they would break their legs. And when they came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead because he had bled out. And they did not have to break his legs and bring about his suffocation. Jesus died by pouring out his blood. Now... What's even more crazy is that just the night before, in Jesus' last meal with his disciples, a Passover meal, he sat down in a time where they would, year after year, they would celebrate and remember how, how through the, the, the shedding of, of the blood of the lamb and the blood over the door and, and, and down the sides, and because the people trusted him, God had passed over their sins. Jesus, in celebrating that with his disciples, stood in front of them and said, no longer are you to celebrate this thinking back and looking back at what God did. Now you are to celebrate this and you are to look at me. I am the one paying for your sins. Can I explain to you how blasphemous this would have been? This would be like if we come to Christmas and I, we're, we're celebrating Christmas and I get up here and I say to you, hey, I know it's Christmas and it's, you know, we, we think of Jesus and his birth and all of that stuff, but from now on when you come to Christmas, you need to think of my birthday. It's Aaron's birthday. Jesus is saying, no longer do you think of the Passover like this. Now you think of me. Matthew records, Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. And at that moment, look at what happened. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. There was a veil separating God and man. And nobody could go in except once a year. 
And now that veil was torn, the thing separating God and man, the thing is gone. Jesus was offering forgiveness and making it possible. And here, here's what I know. Here's what I know. That it's, it's often not until we actually experience forgiveness or we, we know that we can have forgiveness that we think that there is a starting point for faith. So here, here's what I want you to know. Experiencing personal forgiveness for our personal sins is the starting point for a personal faith. This is where it all begins, which requires that I acknowledge that I have personal sins. I'm not just a mistaker. I'm actually a sinner, and I know it's a heavy word, but I need to be forgiven. But that is where it begins. And you say, Aaron, that's, that's a nice story about, you know, the temple and, and the Passover and Jesus and all of this stuff. But you know what's interesting? Even archaeology supports a lot of this. There's a place I've been several times and I love to take people and I, I'll just show it to you. If you go today to the southwest corner of the temple in Jerusalem, it was about 60 years ago that this stone over here on the left was found and you can see how the top portion was broken off and, and it was actually chiseled off and taken and here is the original. It was taken into the Israel Museum in, in Jerusalem and what it says there is that this is the place for the blowing of the trumpet. This is where, this is where the priests would have gone. This is where they would have stood. This is where at 3 p.m. on that Friday, they would have blown a trumpet. And every single person in Jerusalem would have known a lamb has died. A debt has been paid. Forgiveness has been purchased. Thank you, Lord. But what many missed... And what many still miss today is that the lamb that day wasn't an actual lamb. It was Jesus. Now, a man named Paul recounts for us exactly what Jesus did. And Paul was a religious guy who had spent a lot of his life trying all kinds of religious things to, 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 to wash away, to cover over, to deal with all of his sin. And it was only when he came face to face with Jesus that he began to realize that, that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he records this for us, telling the truth about himself and the truth about us. In Colossians chapter 2, he says this in verse 13, you were dead because of your sins. I mean, this is the thing that we started out talking about, is that we all feel like there's something wrong, and we know that there's a debt, and we know that there's a problem, and we know that something has to be paid for, something has to be washed away, I mean, there's stuff that we just, you know, there's periods of our lives that we just do not talk about as adults. We were dead because of our sin and because of our sinful nature. 
Because our sinful nature had not yet been cut away, it had not been taken care of, removed, had not been paid for. And then he goes on and he says this, Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all of your sins. Which sounds a lot like the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, Jesus showed up on the scene and he said, he said, I don't just have a solution. I am the solution. And this is the reality. And this is, this is what's so key. This is, this is why we're here. It, it, we're not here to teach you some religious principles. We're not here to tell you, go to church and be a good little boy, a good little girl, and you'll be okay. And we're, we're just simply here because Jesus makes all the difference in the world. And here's why. Jesus doesn't have a solution for your sin. He is the solution for your sin. He is. Now, how did he do that? Because because some of you are here today and you're going, well, I still don't feel like I've been forgiven. Or I don't feel like I can forgive myself. I just don't feel like I can wash it off or scrub it away or, or forget or get rid of it. I just don't know what to do. Can I show you what he actually did? Here's what he did, verse 14. He canceled the record of the charges against us. And here's how. He took it away. By nailing it to the cross. Jesus picked it up and carried it away. And he nailed it to the cross, paying for it. And when Jesus says, I don't want you to look to the Passover. I don't want you to look to a lamb in the temple. I don't want you to look to that anymore. I want you to look to me and I want you to think that my body is the one that was broken. And my blood is the one that is poured out. And I actually physically died of the loss of blood. My blood being poured out for you. He was at that moment picking it up and taking it away. And paying for it so that it would never be brought up again. And I know, I know, you've got some stuff that you look at and you go, I just, I can't forgive myself. But here's the thing. You don't have to forgive yourself. Yourself has already been forgiven. Your, your sin was not against yourself. Yeah, it had mess that got all over you. And yes, you've got that weekend or that day or that time or that, that period of your life or that whole four years of college that you're just like, I don't know what happened. You've got all of that. But here's the thing. God has paid for it. You don't have to forgive yourself. Yourself has already been forgiven. So when John shows up and he says, look, 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 look at that, look. When he shows up and he says, look. He was telling the people, pay attention to him. And begin to follow him. So let me, let me just 
ask you a question, okay? And it's, it's a simple one, but, you know, there could be a lot of reasons, a lot of answers to it. Here's the question. What is standing in the way of you accepting God's forgiveness through Christ? Because I, I just want to tell you, when it comes to a starting point for faith, there is nothing on God's end stopping you. There, there's not like a list of rules that you got to keep. There's not a list of sins that if you did that one, it doesn't apply to you. There's none of that. On God's end, nothing is standing in the way. What is standing in the way of you accepting God's forgiveness through Christ? And second, if you're here and you say, well, I've trusted Christ. And I'd say, that's, that's great. But remember, you know, the Lamb of God who picks up and carries away the sins of, of the whole world. Here's what I would ask you. Are you living like you are forgiven? Or are you still stuck? Are you still stuck in the guilt and shame game which leads nowhere? Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for all that he has done. And thank you that as we wrestle with that question, what can wash away my sin, my shame, my guilt, my, my past? That you didn't leave us without an answer. You gave us clarity. And John showed up on the scene and he said, look, here's the answer. The Lamb of God. Behold, pay attention. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for all that he has done. God, please help us to turn to you and to trust you and to follow you. I pray in Jesus' name.